I could take out of my life everything except my experiences at St. Andrew, and I still have a rich, full life. But the last tee shot I hit was more like it, that one in the playoff. Against Biden and Ray. That's right. The best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive, so that's the best thing. I'm very happy. Welcome to episode 22 of the Talking Golf History podcast, titled Lake Zurich Golf Club, the club that time forgot. When I walked off Lake Zurich's property, I felt like a piece had stayed behind. For those of you who listen to the podcast or follow me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, you know I've had the privilege of playing some of the most amazing golf courses, both public and private. Few of these golf courses had an impact on me like Lake Zurich did. This isn't just the take of Connor Lewis the golf historian, it's the take of Connor Lewis the golfer. In a day and age where we seem to be chasing the greenest golf courses, or the fastest greens, Lake Zurich may not be everyone's cup of tea, but Lake Zurich reminds us that golf was much more of a simple game in the earliest days of America golf. It's a stroll in the park with a good friend. It's a friendly competition for a pint. It hits at the very heart of why the game took off in America. It's a walk amongst nature with a ball of foot. Lake Zurich stands as a testament that evolution isn't always progress, that faster isn't always better, and that green is just a color. Today on the Talking Golf History Podcast, we welcome my friend and member of Lake Zurich Golf Club, Ed Rutledge. Ed, thanks for joining the show. Well, th- thanks for having me, Connor. That was a great intro. Well, I, I, every once in a while, I get lucky. I, I'm not going to be honest <laughs> with you. Well, let's just jump in. Um, Ed, I call Lake Zurich the club that time forgot. But in fact, it wasn't just time that forgot it. It was kind of the golfing world. If you were to go around, you know a lot of people in the Chicagoland area, but if you were to poll golfers from Chicago, how many of them would know about Lake Zurich Golf Club? Oh, almost none. It's we're, you know, we're we're such a small membership and we always have been, but it's it's interesting that we're you know, we're the second oldest golf club in uh, in the Midwest after Chicago Golf. And uh even though some other clubs are they they claim to be older, um it's just frankly that nobody knows that we we exist. Uh, but we we have a great a great history and we love it and uh, it's just you know a unique fun place. Yeah, how do you think the club flew under the radar for the past 125 years? I think a lot of it is well, two things. I think one is the membership. Uh, we were limited; our bylaws limit us to 40 members. And in the 125 or so years since we uh, we opened for play, I'm not sure we've ever really been above 35 members. Um, and the other is the, 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 the length, you know, it's a, it's a nine hole course. Uh, we have multiple tee boxes, but it's a nine hole course and it, it only stretches 26, 2700 yards. Um, and that on paper, you know, it just doesn't seem like it's all that interesting for a lot of people. Um, when you get in play, it is, you've been there and you've played it. It's yeah, longest 2600 yards you'll ever play in your life. <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, uh, it, it's no, uh, it's no pushover. That's for sure. But it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think that's what, uh, that's what, that's what I love about it. And I think people who go and they, they get it and they, they're not looking for the 7,000 yard, you know, championship tees. Um, if you go to just enjoy the game, it, there's no place better. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's jump in the history. How, how did it come about? How did Lake Zurich golf club get formed? It's a great question, um, and it's somewhat complicated. But the uh, so eighteen the early eighteen nineties, um, there was a gentleman named Charlie Wood. He was a a bond attorney uh, in Chicago, and uh, he had won a case um, representing a, a lady up in Lake Zurich who had no money but had a bunch of land, and so she paid him effectively in land. He and his partner. And they became the, the two, I guess, founding partners, which were added to by another three of their friends. Uh, but what's interesting is, so these guys uh, were in their mid-30s when all of this happened. And this was kind of an interesting time in Chicago where a lot of clubs were being formed. 
their parents had been of of the founding members. I think all of their their fathers were members of a club called the Chicago Club, which is uh, there was a spinoff of that that became Chicago Golf Club. Uh, C.B. McDonald was a member of Chicago, the Chicago Club. But that was kind of their dad's club. And they seemed to want their own. So in the in the city, uh, these were the guys who founded uh, the University Club uh, and Saddle and Cycle was other newfangled invention called the bicycle. And um, but they also wanted they thought this golf thing sounds fun, but uh, they didn't want they weren't interested in in the club where the the old guys hung out. They wanted their own club. And so um, uh, they had this land in Lake Zurich and they had connections through their their fathers. And uh, so that's how we got uh, Jim Fowlis to come up and do the golf course layout. Um, He was obviously the guy that C.B. McDonald uh, brought over from St. Andrews. Uh, He was an apprentice to old old Tom Morris uh, to help with the establishment of Chicago golf in Wheaton. And uh, so he laid out the course and then – there's another young member who's also one of the founders of uh, Saddle and Cycle and 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 uh, the early member of uh, University Club called Jarvis Hunt, who's a, uh, an architect. Um, he did a lot of work at Chicago Golf uh, and did – well, he did a lot of work all over the place. But uh, he was, uh, uh, we believe, the architect of our golf club, uh, the clubhouse. And then um, coming out of the World's Fair, the uh, Olmsted brothers were in the area, and they were doing a whole bunch of landscape work. It's interesting; these early golf courses, nobody really knew if golf was going to take. You know, this was kind of like an extreme sport, and so um, they would hire landscape architects because if if the golf thing didn't work out, at least you had a nice parkland uh, to to enjoy. And so they did the landscape architecture. So. Um, you know, all those things came together. The The club opened for play in 1895. Uh, the clubhouse was built in 1896. Um, the, the landscaping, especially the, the big oak trees that the big oak trees now were saplings in, uh, in 1895 and 1896 when they were getting planted. Um, and so you know, that's, that's really how we got, how we got started. Yeah. And I mean, for the listeners at home, uh, Ed touched on this, but you have James Fowlis, um, who's basically recommended by Charles Blair McDonald, right, to design your golf course. Uh, he goes on to win the U.S. Open next year and uh, designed a bunch of golf courses in the Midwest. But I believe, was this his first? This was, uh, I believe it was his first. Yeah, it's what's, what's really funny is the, the U.S. Open that he won at Shinnecock, Shinnecock was a shorter course at that point than Lake Zurich. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, it, well, that, I mean, 2,600 yards was kind of a beast with the gutty ball. I mean that's that's a that's a hardy golf course. That's exactly right, and there's some topography and yeah, it's a it's a tricky course with a gutty. Um, the the Haskell obviously changed all that, but uh, absolutely. But yeah. So and then we have Jarvis Hunt, who I think you mentioned, but uh, he designed Chicago Golf Club's clubhouse. He also did National Golf Links of America, and then of course Frederick Olmsted. He gave us his most famous for Central Park in New York. Right. So it's well, kind this of like the old Hall of Famers, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and it was the Olmsted brothers, not uh, not Frederick Law. So it was his sons. But uh, so they were young and they were they were kind of cutting their teeth. I think the older one was in his mid 40s and the younger was in his mid 30s when all this happened. So, again, this is this is like the, the, the kids club. It's kind of funny because um, my 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 father in law was a member and he tells stories of of knowing uh, some of these older the, the, the founding members. And there were these kind of crotchety old guys. And it's funny to think of them as, you know, young men starting a club and trying to be, you know, that would be fun. It, it would be in a, away from their parents. So it, we've kind of come full circle. Yeah. So the club starts off as a very special charter, which limits the number of members to 40. Do we know why they limited the membership to so few? Um, I think they like their space. <laughs> I think, and it's, and it's, it's endured because... You know, this has been a place for the past, you know, century and, and a quarter for uh, people to escape from the normal life and, and, and escape from kind of the everyday. It's it's uh, it's great to not have the stress of of tea times or starters or any of that. You just go and you play it. And it's it's where an, a, an adult can actually go play, which th- those things are they're They're not common today and they probably weren't all that common back then. How many how many members would you estimate the club has now? 
oh, 32 or 33. Yeah. And you said it's it's rarely gone over 35, which happens at that par. <laughs> yeah, the course. Probably, that would say, no, it's probably bogey. No, bogey for <laughs> we, the course. We, That's right. Well we, said. Yeah. Yeah, we still uh, we still on our scorecards it still lists bogey as the uh, uh, as the uh, kind of the, the optimal score. We have we have par as well, but it's uh, par isn't one under bogey, so to speak, or bogey's not one over par. Yeah, some of the holes uh, bogey and par are the same. Some of their some they're different. So, for for being what most people would call an exclusive club, and I'm using uh, you know quotation marks here little air quotes yeah. yeah it lacks the pop and cir- pomp and circumstance of an exclusive private club um when we were like i'm just going to give an example for the folks at home when we're making our way to the first tee and i don't know if you remember this you noticed a couple of i believe they were female golfers playing down the ninth fairway and do you remember what you told me and what we did thereafter oh uh, yeah i mean we yeah you stop and you you, you kind of go and you meet whoever's playing and and uh say hello and see how things are going. And, and, uh, depending on the nature of the, the round they're in, you either jump in with them or, or, you know, go on your own way. But, but yeah, it's, it's very common. It's with such a small membership and with, uh, it, it really is, uh, you know, it's, it's, you become really good friends with, with the members. And so I can see somebody from the other side of the course and, uh, I know who it is by the way they're walking or, you know, by their swing or, you know, how, you know, just, you just know who they are and somehow, you know, you'll kind of break off your round and go meet them halfway in between and, and carry on from there. So it's, it's just a great place to, uh, yeah, to, uh, to escape and to, uh, to meet up with friends and, and have a nice casual, you know, I, w- I won't even call it a round of golf. Cause you're, you know, whether you go around in order, or you go, you, you know, we'll play holes backwards. We'll, you know, it's, you, you, you make a game out of it, uh, however you want to do it. And a lot of it is just being with friends. As you said, you're walking with friends, you're, uh, you're, you get to have a nice chat, you're hitting a ball and, you know, in a, in a beautiful place, what more can you really ask for? Yeah. We were playing, I, I can't tell you how bad it made me feel to be a golfer in this regard that, uh, I believe during our round at least three times, I think you initiated the first one on the ninth uh, green with the ladies that were playing. And then there were at least two more times where gentlemen came like from out of nowhere to find us. I, I mean, it was like, where did they come from? And, you know, they must have seen us a couple fairways through. And it's just, it's terrible. I feel bad about this. Like when I'm playing at my club, I don't do that at all. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the number of people I know is so few and it makes me yearn for that because when someone would say to me I, on Twitter, I've said, you know, why are we talking about an exclusive club? I'm like, I really wouldn't call it exclusive. I'd call it more of like a family club. And though you're not all related, it, it very much has a family vibe to it. Very much so. We you know, we all know every, we know each other's families. We've watched their kids grow up. We, we know the, the circumstances that they're going through. So it's, it really is, it's a bunch of friends and, you know, you can call it exclusive. Maybe it takes sometimes a while for people to become a member just because with such a small membership, we really want to get to know you and we want to know that it's a good fit because Lake Zurich really isn't for everybody. It's not, it's not that kind of place. Um, and it's fun because it, it really doesn't matter what you do. We've had, you know, industry Titans. We've had a lot of professors. Um, the, the original members were, were from university, uh, were from Hyde park, which is the home of university of Chicago. So a lot of their friends were professors. And so we've always had this academic bent. Um, but it's, it, it's, it's a place with really almost no pretense and, you go because you love going and you love the people and you love the experience in the place. And it's, so everybody kind of checks their ego at the door because it's, as you say, it's like coming home. It's, it's like meeting up with family. Yeah. Yeah. Another piece that I like, I I like the fact that your founding, you know, members were, were basically sons of uh, members of Chicago golf club. And yet I, I believe you told me when we were playing that, a lot of people looked back and maybe this is them as older men, you know, older members as, um, you know, being kind of proper, right. They weren't like the young stallions they were when they founded the club. You mentioned that, did you not? Exactly. I I think I called them crotchety. Crotchety old men. There you go. But I mean, 
I, I'm going to read off of, of four rules that are just my favorite. But just to, you know, going back to the foundation of the club, they weren't too proper to have a good time. And I, I'd say one of the most famous things that the club's known for is its own set of quirky rules. And I thought I'd go over four of them. And then I talk about a fifth one that I didn't see in the rule book, but we went through together. So the first one is there shall be no such thing as a lost ball. The missing ball will eventually be found and pocketed by some other player in which it becomes a stolen ball. There is no penalty for a stolen ball. I might have used that once when we were playing. (laughs) To be fair, I don't know how I lost a ball on number three. I mean, it's it's impossible for me to lose a ball. So somehow I think one of those members that came up to, I think I was being distracted and another member came in and took my ball. That's my guess. It's it. It's very probable. I did not read T, folks. So punish me later. Exactly. Um, yep. Second one. My this one might be my personal favorite. If a putt stops close enough to the cup to inspire such comments as "You can blow it in," you may blow it in. The rule does not apply if the ball is more than three inches from the hole. We have no wish to make a travesty of the game. I mean, I I love these people. They. I mean, you can't get much better than that, can you? From a sense of humor and from a pure fairness standpoint, I'm with these people. Uh, Number three, a ball sliced or hooked into the rough shall be lifted and placed at at a point equal to the distance it carried into the rough. It is hardly fair to penalize the player for an erratic flight of a ball. Enough said, right? Exactly. Finally, number four, before we get into the one we used. A ball hitting a tree shall be deemed not to have hit a tree. Hitting a tree is incontrovertible bad luck, a phenomenon which is obviously has no place in a scientific game. The player should estimate the distance the ball would have traveled under reasonable circumstances and play the ball from that point, preferably from a nice, firm tuft of grass. I mean, who doesn't love these people, Ed, right? <laughs> Exactly. So you can tell the scoring was scoring uh, was not not necessarily their uh, prime motive. Uh, I think having having fun was the the prime motive and and enjoying enjoying the game. And to double check, <laughs> we've never had a U.S. Open champion from Lake Zurich Golf Club, correct? That is correct. <laughs> Just I had to check, right? I had to check. Yeah, yeah. I think our, our my my guess is our club champions carry uh, handicaps on average. If you look at the past. Uh, boy, 30 or 40 years. I'm guessing our club champions carry a, a, a mid to high teens handicap. You know what? At Lake Zurich, though, that travels pretty well. It does. It, it's, it travels surprisingly well. But, uh, but we're not known for, uh, for the, the uh, skill of our golfers, but maybe more for the, uh, the, the humor and, and uh, good nature of, of our golfers. Yeah. So – well, the majority of your members don't utilize those four rules I just mentioned. There is a common rule that is utilized on the first tee. I was wondering if you could share that tradition. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, you know, because we there's, you know, these early courses, a lot of them don't have driving ranges. You know, I think even Chicago Golf, their driving range used to be their polo field. Um, so you, you know, you get there, you warm up. Uh, you, you stretch and whatnot, but yeah, the, the first tee, it's, you hit it until you like it. <laughs> now to be fair, I mean, people might be just like, Whoa, I'm aghast by this, but you also have to figure out the first hole at Lake Zurich. It's a par four, 258 yards. Sounds like a pushover, but a mere 50 yards off the tee sits a massive Olmstead Oak tree, which overhangs by my estimate only 80 to 90% of the right side of the fairway. I mean, it basically leaves a little gap where you basically, I mean, would it be fair to say it's not a fade? It's a slice that you have to hit around the tree. Is that fair, Ed? Well, yeah, or else you have to keep it really low. And and if you, uh, yeah, and if you, uh, yeah, if you hit it high, you'll hit the tree. If you hit it too far left, though, and you're in the woods. Yeah. So and, it's, and to be it's fair, a tricky little shot. And you saw me try to hit. I mean, we used my first two shots. To be fair, I hit a tree both times and came out lucky. But yep. I was trying every shot in my bag. <laughs> I, was try, I was literally, <laughs> folks, I was trying to hit a punt shot, which I'm quite good at, and I'm still catching that tree. It Olmstead got me. That's essentially what I <laughs> He got me pretty good. But the thing is, to be fair, I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, as a lover of golf history – I think you go straight to hell if you try to cut down an Olmstead tree. 
Well, that's right. <laughs> it's part of like there is, you know, I've I've parted that hole plenty of times, and and I and I know a lot of you know fellow members who have parted it many times. So it's yeah. possible. Yeah. It's just you have to hit it right. And uh, you get rewarded if you do. Yeah. To be fair, uh, for the record, and you can vouch me, I was one under on the first hole, though I hit the tree both times. So lucky bounce. That's true. (laughs) All right. So I'm going to ask you a serious question, Ed. Okay. Um, I don't know how to start here. Um, Ed, you know, golf at Lake Zurich is a little bit different, but I was wondering if you could possibly dive into the inhuman treatment of your green staff up until the 1970s. It's my understanding that Lake Zurich's membership didn't allow them to leave the property and made them sleep on the ground and in the barn. Could you expand upon that? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, we, yeah, we treated them actually exceptionally badly because when the, uh, a lot of times we'd eat their children. Whoa. Ed. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you heard it here first folks. Yeah, so we uh, up until yeah up until a few decades ago, we used uh, sheep. We, it was a working farm. We had uh, we had a, a herd of sheep. Um, uh, apparently, there were peacocks, there were chickens, there were um, there was all kinds of stuff. But uh, we had a herd of sheep that uh, that was our greens crew. They uh, they kept the uh, the fairways trimmed. I'm not sure if they did the uh, the the greens. This was a little bit of ahead of my time, but um, so I'm not sure if they uh, they trimmed the greens as well. But certainly the fairways. And, um, uh, yeah, we have, we have photos of them actually in the porch of the clubhouse as well. So we didn't always make them sleep in the barn. <laughs> they slept on but, the porch. Uh, I didn't see that. I didn't see that yeah. photo when we were there. Uh, yeah, it's actually one of the uh, photos I think on the porch, but, um, but I think it's only when the weather got really bad, uh, that would happen. But, um, but yeah, uh, the, apparently the, so we have we have dinners about once once a month, and they used to be much more frequent, almost once a week, uh, where the members get together. We wear our red jackets. So one of the quirky uh, traditions uh, of the club, and um, I think generally it was uh, lamb was on the menu. So. <laughs> <laughs> and tr- some traditions never die, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. So, so uh, maybe we should get into the course. So. Even today, your golf course is held, I would call it, almost to the standards of 1895. It's, it's a course that has changed very little over the years. Could you elaborate on the conditioning of Lake Zurich today? Um, yeah, we, you know, the, the fairways are uh, probably what you'd usually find in, in some tightly cut roughs. Um, the greens are, you know, I've, I've played on fairways that are as... Uh, uh, as, as closely trimmed as our greens generally are, but, um, yeah, we, it's like, we don't, we don't, uh, irrigate very often. We don't, I don't think we fertilize very much. Um, uh, it plays the, the course plays probably to a, how it would have, uh, a hundred years ago. Um, it's, you know, part of it is the, the thick, the, our rough is thick. The, the fairways are, are nice and soft and good, but, the grass is a little longer and you know if you're if you're looking for the kind of the augusta treatment right uh you're not going to find it it's there the opposite. this is this is the opposite <laughs> Other I mean, direction, right yeah i mean it's beautiful the you know it's the 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 the, the, the landscape is gorgeous so it's Agreed. a it's a beautiful course but it's just different it's not a manicured um you know every every lie is going to be perfect you know this is truly you know it's a true play it as it lies and the rub of the green comes comes into play here. Absolutely. I, I estimated, folks, and I, I should bring a stint meter sometime, but I was estimating the stint at maybe a five. <laughs> yeah. You, I mean, that's probably <laughs> fair, right? I mean, you really... That's probably pretty but what, fair. But what makes that interesting is all of a sudden, like a three-footer feels like a seven-footer. Like you can miss a two-footer. You could miss a two-footer. Am I wrong? I mean, it's not hard to imagine the a blade of grass pushing it on a two-footer it really makes you sweat. Yeah, I find it, frankly, you know, in some ways I'm, well, I'm used to it. Um, but when I play on other courses and, and I, I have the privilege of playing on a lot of nice courses, um, a lot of them, you get the ball moving on the line and it just goes, you don't have to really hit it very hard. You have to hit it on the line. Uh, at Lake Zurich, you have to hit it on the line and you have to hit it. You have to actually give a stroke to the, to you the have putt. To commit. You have to commit. 
And um, yeah, otherwise it's it the the green will not let you get it to the hole. <laughs> so true, <laughs> so true. Um, let's talk. Let's talk about pin positions. So okay. most of your pin positions are Sunday pin positions every day. So maybe you could <laughs> clarify that for everybody. Well, <laughs> we uh, yeah we don't move the pins all that often because the course really just doesn't get all that much play. So. Um, so it's, you know, when the, when the holes start getting a little shaggy around the edges, we'll, we'll have new holes cut, but, uh, yeah, they, but there are some diabolical placements that, uh, that, that our greenkeeper likes to, uh, to use. And by the way, we don't, we don't eat the green keep the green crew anymore. Um, we've, we've draw the line. We've, <laughs> we've moved beyond that, but, uh, yeah, when when the holes are getting a little shaggy, um, they they get recut and moved, and you know you you play for the next few weeks off of the new hole. Um, we do do one tournament a year we'll, where we'll actually cut two holes on each green. I uh, have two pins. Uh, it's a Ryder Cup style, uh, three three rounds uh, match play, stymie rules in effect, and uh, you pick the tee box and you pick the green, or you pick the tee box and you pick the hole. Uh, depending on which which match it is. Oh, I love so that. It's it's a lot of fun. So I wonder if you could do me a favor for the folks listening at home. Uh, take a moment if you need to. Can you count how many bunkers Lake Zurich has on its course? Uh, well, sand bunkers. Yep, sand bunkers. Traditional uh, sand bunkers. Take your time. Take your time. <laughs> we have one, and it's on the first <laughs> hole. It's on the first hole. Yep. Uh, the rest are all grass. Uh, we have a lot of cop, uh, cop hazards, cap, cop bunkers, um, you know, cross, cross bunkers, things like that. But there are a lot of mounding, a lot of trenching. Um, and, uh, you know, it's interesting as you walk the course, you see where, uh, where old hazards were, they've, they've eroded a little bit. And so every year we, we do a little bit of work on the course and, uh, you know, try to try to keep it somewhat restored. Um, but uh, frankly, for a few decades, there was a lot more uh, attention paid to the conviviality of the club than the golf or the, or the course, uh, you know, kind of the mid 1900s. And, um, you know, so we've we've been waging war with the buckthorn. We've been you know, it's like everybody else. Right. You you nature tries to take back and, and you have to you have to push Mother Nature back over to the back off the fairways. So let me ask you this. You know how I reacted at Lake Zurich. I was like a little kid in a candy shop. Um, yeah. I, I love it. I mean, this is this is my kind of course. But what kind of – you bring people out to the course. What kind of reactions do you get when you bring a guest? Do you ever have people – like, I mean, obviously, they're your guests. So maybe they're not as upfront with you as they might be. But when they don't know what they're walking into, do you ever get, you know, a, oh, my God response? All, yeah, all the time, all the time. <laughs> and, you know, again, you look at it on paper and you say, man, this is, you know, it, it's, this isn't a, this isn't a real golf course, right? It, it's, you know, and it's so much there, more, it's so it is, much more, you know, and, and my, my, it's almost like Brigadoon. You're, you're stepping back in time and you're, you're out of, out of the normal world. It's a weird, it's, it's like a little weird time shift when you're, when you're there. And I, uh, I mean, it's, I, I've, I've, uh, equated it almost to, to, if there's a burning bush in the United States, I don't know of a course that would be better suited to it than Lake Zurich. Um, the, uh, you know, it's just a, it's almost, you feel, um, almost a spiritual connection when you walk the course, um, you, you feel better when every time I leave the course, uh, every time I leave the club, I feel I feel better, um, which is, you know, it's such a great thing. It's you feel refreshed and recharged and the world is right. And, you know, there aren't very many places that that will do that. And I agree 100 percent. And, you know, obviously, you know, this because we played, you know, 18 holes together right. and me being giddy and just salivating. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I literally irrigated your golf course with salivating, but it, it, it does. It feels like. I mean, from somebody who cherishes golf history, it literally feels like stepping back in time. I mean, we're getting, while you don't have sheep cutting the grass anymore, the grass is basically like your first cut of rough at most of your private courses, maybe even a little bit longer than that. 
and your Correct. greens at a five on the stimp are very close to how they would have played in the 18, late 1800s in the United States. And that's what gets me. I mean, that, that pulls me in and, you know, you know, gives me a warm little hug when I walk on your property. But exactly. let's, let's do this. Let's talk about a couple of my favorite holes. Okay. Um, I, I'm, you know, I would admit we've already talked about the first hole. The second one, I'm not really going to go into, but one of my favorite things about the second one is you are surrounded by Olmstead trees on your right and left. And you are literally hitting through this beautiful sun shaded canopy out into the course. And it's actually, if you're hitting driver, it's the, the trees aren't in play that hang over you, but wow, what a viewing point, right? Yeah. It's framed. It's it is gorgeous. spectacular. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it, it's surprising. It's, I guess, embarrassing how often those trees come into play. They shouldn't. <laughs> they should never be in play. Yeah, if you hit it uh, high, they're in play. That's true. Exactly. Yeah, a little, a, you know, pop fly uh, uh, into into you know shallow center field. They'll be they'll be in play. But but no, it's it's a beautiful framing of the of the of the fairway and the the green off in the distance. It's a, just a beautiful vista. It is. So I'm going to jump into um, favorite holes. Third hole. It's called Tribulation. It's the third hole on the course. It's a slightly blind par three of 105 yards. It features a golf architectural design element that was pretty much killed off in America. And, and it's the first time I think we really see it on the golf course. Would you mind elaborating on it? Sure. Yeah, it's a big cop bunker. It's kind of a big horseshoe, uh, which is it basically they it's it's a mound in the protecting the green. And it's uh as you approach the green, they basically just used shovels and dug a dug a trench and piled the dirt on the on the inside of the trench to create a mound. And you don't see it from the tee box that that's hidden. Um, so you really don't know what you're playing with. There's that's why we have a little viewing tower. You can go up and 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 see. It's really really so you can see where the ball landed. But um, uh, but it's it's just a fun fun thing. And if you know it's there it can really get in your head because you know, if it's short, uh, cause it, you know, the, the green's right on the other side of it. So if you're short, uh, it could be a real tough up and down, but, um, but it, you know, if you, if you hit it properly, it's not, it's, it's not a terribly long hole. So it, it shouldn't be that hard, but it gets in your head. Yeah. This is one of those, I mean, this hole, and I'd say from a restoration standpoint, I'm kind of against restoring, Lake Zurich Golf Club. And I'm a huge fan of restoration projects. The one thing I think we both agree on is it would be great to expand those greens again. And that is one yes. specifically we talked about. I think we spent, I don't, I, I mean, I was like the paparazzi taking photos of that green. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. maybe ex- talk to the, the folks at home and the folks in the car about, you know, all everyone that's listening or has listened to the, the fried egg or uh, the feed the ball podcast knows that greens over time, if not managed properly, get, they shrink and maybe talk about how that green might have played and maybe some of the others and how we might expand them in the future. Yeah, well, and, and we have been slowly expanding the greens back out. Uh, it just takes, you know, if you if you just cut the grass short, you'll kill you'll kill the grass. So it has to be done really gradually. But, um, yeah, that one, the green used to go all the way to the cop. Um, so you could, I mean, you could put a sucker pin in right on the other side of the cop. Oh, that'd be and, so good. Uh, oh, my gosh, yeah. And um, so we're slowly expanding uh, a handful of the greens. That's one of them. We're slowly pushing it back towards where, where it originally was. It'd be um, perfect. It would be perfect if it was it? expanded. Oh, yeah, I mean, it'd be just, and you'd put that pin behind that. Oh, it's be unbelievably great. Yeah, exactly. I, I think so too. So we're, you know, we're working towards so restoration. Is kind of a, it's a tricky word. You know, it's interesting because we have such a small membership. Um, we we've never had the huge budget uh, necessarily that other clubs have. So we haven't brought in outside architects to, you know, frankly redesign it. You know, like, like a lot of clubs did with the Haskell ball. Uh, but it also means. We haven't had, you know, we never went through the, the, you know, the sixties, seventies, eighties redesigns either. Oh, thank goodness. But I know that would have been awful, but, um, and I'm sure there was pressure, uh, back then, but, um, but what we have, you know, as you say, the, the greens have shrunk, um, some of the, the, the hazards, the, the, uh, the traps, which are, which were grass, but still nice little depressions with mounding around them have eroded over time. And so, you know, it's some of these things you just need to, uh, 
you need to maintain every once yeah, in a while. Just tweak, right? Yeah, yeah. It's not really a change. It's just a, uh, you know, you, you you know dig the uh, dig the dirt back out of the hole. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we're gonna jump into you. You you know where I'm going with this next one? Uh, no. Hole number four. <laughs> that damn hole. <laughs> The yeah. pasture hole. So I'm going to paint a picture here for the folks the, as best as I can. The fourth hole is one of the longest – is the longest hole on the course. It's 540 yards. It may have been the hardest par five I've ever played and likely would have been, if there was such a thing, a par six if it were back such a thing in the 1895s. Um, walk our listeners through what makes the pasture hole such a tough hole. Yeah, so – off the tee, and by the way, since you played it, we've done a bunch of buckthorn removal. So that that the pond that was back, the, uh, yes, on the yeah, left. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm painting. I know that most of the people haven't played it, so I, I'm describing a pond that nobody's seen. They see it. Uh, yeah, so there's <laughs> so there's this heavily wooded and shrubbed area off to the left of the tee box, kind of a big, about a hundred yard, 150 yards out. There's a big dog leg. Uh, left and 90 degree dog leg at a 90 degree yards. dog leg. Yeah. Right. And so off the tee, you have an option of playing straight out, which probably makes the hole 640 yards. <laughs> I tried or, that. It does. Or you, you try to cut the corner, but, uh, there were, there were, um, a lot of scrub trees and things like that, that, that block the, that pass. So it's almost like a, you have to hit kind of an 180 yard pop fly, which is, uh, you know, not because you have to clear the trees and get over. Well, we've actually, uh, since you played, we've gone through there and gotten rid of a bunch of the scrub trees and all that buckthorn, which has brought that pond back into its original place. So now, now you can really there's there's some strategy there that came back, which is how much of that pond do you cut off, which makes it really kind of fun. But you know, off that first, you off the first uh, uh, off the tee shot. You're playing up a hill, and so the the Fowler's brothers. Uh, so Jim was Jim came over, and then he was followed by his his brothers. But they liked using this kind of uh, like a, a landing pad to landing pad design with uh, swales or valleys in between. And this is no different. So off the tee, you're land. There's a landing pad, and then there's uphill another 150 200 yards. There's a good spot to land, but um, you're still 200 yards from the green. And, um, but you can't see the green from below that, 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 that ridge. And so you have a lot of blind shots. If you know where you're, if you, if you play the course, you know where to hit it, but there are a lot of blind shots and, um, you know, the, the whole right side is effectively out of bounds. It's, uh, it's thick forest. Um, you know, so, and it, and it, it's, it's interesting. It's not a straight shot either. Once you've done the dog leg, it still curls around to the right or curls right, right to left. And, but it's so, so subtle that a lot of times you find yourself, you think you hit a perfectly straight shot and you launch it straight into the woods. I tried. Yeah. I remember that on the second one. No, but I mean that first shot off the tee, it is, if you've never played the course, it is, it's semi blind, or at least it was with the trees and yep. it's not wide. So if you, let's say you pull driver off, you've basically have, I don't know, maybe an extra 10 yards one way or the other, and you risk going short into the pond or the, or the woods, or you go long into the woods. It is, it's daunting. It's yeah. And it got me. I mean, both times, I think my best score was a bogey. And that was sadly the one that I decided to be a coward and hit straight out. And then I didn't realize that I had a thousand yards to get to the green. (laughs) Although it was like one of the greatest bogeys of my life. Because yeah, I was. I'm not kidding. It was. It felt like I was playing to the actual Chicago Golf Club from where my ball landed. It was that far away. <laughs> exactly. Um, a, a six on that hole is is bragworthy. Yeah. So let's go on the next hole. That's uh, my my third uh, hole. I like um, to talk about. So perhaps one of the most fascinating holes to me is it's called McGinty. It's a 182 yard par three. Ed, I need you to paint a picture to the uh, folks at home and in their cars of the amount of left to right slope of McGinty. Oh gosh, it probably is 40 degrees. I mean, it's uh, insane. That, <laughs> that green. It's, but you know, and, and we've looked into that one too. And, and I would touch it. Well, I think it used to be more of a reverse, um, Redan, uh, where you'd so on, because 
uh, to the left of the green on the uphill side are mounds and it's, you really don't want to be in there. So it's not a, it's not a sand trap, but it's, it's not fun. And below is uh, a branch of the, um, of the pond. So you have, you've kind of hazards on both sides, but with that big slope, uh, if the green were expanded, it could, you could, uh, uh, use the green to roll, you know, use that slope to roll it back down onto the green. But, uh, but as it stands now, it's a very small green and it's very, it's got a lot of slope to it. If that one, you know, if that, if we didn't have a five on the stint meter, that would be a, a near impossible putt. It would be, no, it, it would be, impo- it would, if you did not make it, it would come all the way down and it would be coming at you like a rocket. Yes, <laughs> I mean, exactly right. Four degrees slope on tour. If you just place the ball on the ground, it'll roll faster and faster until it finds a flatter piece of ground. And I'm not kidding for the folks at home, the slope on this green, while not 40, but it might be 10. So if you had regular green cutting standards placed at Lake Zurich, you would not have a hole there. You would have to read. <laughs> I mean, is that fair? It is. That's I think, absolutely. Right? That's yeah. absolutely right. Which was also amazing. I mean, because you anybody who puts it on the left of that hole and it stays up, even at a five, you don't know how you're going to keep it within 20 feet of the hole. Exactly. So I, one of my favorite holes just because it's just so incredible to look at. And again, I took about a thousand photos and not a single one of them came off like where you could see how much slope was on that green. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's surprising though, the, because it's, there's not a lot of breaks on it. It's just got the heavy slope. So, so if you pick the right curl and the right pace, you can sink putts on it, but, um, boy, you feel good when you do one of those. You got to earn it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So while not a hole, um, this isn't a hole per se, but without mentioning it, I, I can't go on without mentioning this favorite piece of history, the pink bench. Could you elaborate as to why there is one pink bench at Lake Zurich? Right. So, um, well, decades ago, obviously, um, uh, Joe DiMaggio and, uh, Marilyn Monroe were out as guests and, um, Apparently, Marilyn didn't want to uh, to finish a round, but instead parked herself on a bench. Where it's between our uh, well, it's near our seventh tee box. Uh, sorry, eighth tee box, and uh, it is a it's a beautiful vista. is is really pretty. Um, and she just decided to sit there and wait for the uh, uh, the, the host and and her husband to uh, to come around. And so the club painted the the bench pink in her honor. I love it. Yeah. So. Marilyn may have been the most famous person to set foot on your course, depending on uh, if you're a cinephile. Um, but you have four very other famous members that are well-known within, within your membership, but unknown to everyone else. Could you share the story of how your most famous members, Terrence O'Brien, Irving <laughs> Cohen, Lathrop Washington, Jackson Washington Johnson, all who came from differing religious backgrounds, saved the course from condemnation? Yeah, I think I, I would say they're not. I don't think they're members, but they are uh, definitely among the uh, uh, the saviors of the club, no question. Um, yeah, so back in in 1912, uh, there was a railroad that decided to run a line right through the middle of the course, and and a railroad had the right of eminent domain; they could they could take land wherever they wanted it. Uh, but we had at that point, I believe it was the head of the University of Chicago's law school, and. Um, the uh, bursar from the Rush Medical School in Chicago as members. And there was a loophole in the law. And uh, so some cadavers went missing from the medical school and were promptly buried on the course. The course was rezoned to cemetery because that was the one type of land that the railroad could not condemn. So those uh, those gentlemen uh, saved the club. You know what? If they're not members, I think you need to add them. I, I posthumously yeah. members for. I think you should nominate them. I think – they did. They've done a hundred and you know, hundred and what five years now of time on they, the course. Uh, absolutely, they they've done their their duty. That's for sure. I I would I would classify them as uh, you know a higher higher ranking than the Ooh, members. I like that. That's right. <laughs> you know, they're up there with we we have our patron saint Saint Barnabas. Yeah, we're gonna I get would, into I that. Would say, yeah. All right. Yeah. So I would I would say that they're kind of on 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 Barnabas's uh, level. So your golf club is a cemetery. Is that right? We is have a cemetery. Yeah, it is. So 
Why don't you tell listeners how bodies laid to rest can get moved at Lake Zurich? Well, yeah. So the uh, the cemetery originally was just off of the third green. And um, uh, over the years, you know, when the club was founded, it was in the middle of, of farmland. But as the suburbs grew, uh, homes grew around around the club. And we were having problems with vandalism. So we decided to uh, move, the, uh, move the graves. Um, again, this was way back before, before my time. So I, I, you know, I hope I'm not speaking out of school and, and, uh, what I don't need is, uh, health inspectors or anything coming around, but, you know, I've <laughs> no idea how, uh, how the, uh, exhumation and, and, uh, reburials happened, but I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to take it on faith that they were done totally properly and, and, uh, by the book. Yeah. Well, you know what? To that point, maybe that's how you got the cops in front of the third green. That's where you got the extra dirt. I'm just saying I'm going on record right now. <laughs> came from no, somewhere. Was, it, it, it did come from somewhere. I think it came from the trench in front. But, and actually, the uh, the tombs were off uh, to the right of the green. Yeah, I was just joking. Or the, the grave. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll say this. Um, each round, we played two rounds at Lake Zurich, two rounds around the course. Um, and we took the time to stop by the graveyard each time. Uh, mm-hmm. And while the story is an interesting one, um, I will say this. I was impressed that, you know, the deceased are treated with all respect. Uh, it wasn't a moment for laughter, but rather pause and reverence. And, you know, that's something I took away from the round. That everybody kind of, you know, it's not, haha. you know, there's a cemetery. It's, you, you kind of take a moment, don't you? Yeah, and, you know, I... I I, I kind of mentioned it or touched on it before, but I, I almost feel like the, the, that land is sacred space and, and who knows, maybe it's because uh, of the cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. So on that point and, and maybe not related, but I've heard people say that Lake Zurich is haunted. And let me ask you this, Ed, and I and keep in mind, or, or maybe it's yourself or perhaps the members of the club is Lake Zurich golf club, the most haunted club in America. And if so, <laughs> what golf stories can you share with us? Yeah, well, if 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 uh, any golf cl- uh, golf clubs are haunted, you know, I think Lake Zurich would have to be put in that list. Um, it's well, it's interesting at the cemetery or at the you know where the the graves are at the c- little cemetery. We have had a lot of members had their ashes scattered. Um, uh, a lot of pets actually have been buried around there. So, but yeah, it's a. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of memories and a lot of tradition around there, but uh, but people have seen weird glowing lights at dusk around the uh, third green. Um, uh, yeah, it's interesting. Maybe one of the more common ones is is uh, guests have heard um, men singing uh, in the uh, clubhouse uh, at night, and that was always one of the. It still is one of the traditions of the club. Where after dinner we'll. Uh, We'll uh, bring out a little songbook and and pick some songs and and sing a little bit together, and so uh, yeah, it, it's you know I hear stories. So what do you I, think? I, what do you think, Ed? You know, if if I were uh, if I were a ghost, uh, Lake Zurich would be a heck of a good place to uh, to stay put. I, I figure if we do have any ghosts, they're exceptionally friendly and they're they're probably mixing cocktails in the in the evening and playing golf right and and playing golf that's right they're there Um, with friends and yeah and uh, having a good time so let me think here so you know we talked about how the course hasn't changed over time we've talked about the unique set set of rules in the cemetery um going on you know not necessarily the ghost theme but lake Zurich golf club as you mentioned has a patron saint and I was wondering if you could tell everyone the story of St. Barnabas. Yeah. It's a good right. one, so St. Right? Yeah, Barnabas, uh, we have a, his portrait over our, uh, the fireplace in our dining room. Uh, and we, we pour him a glass of wine before every dinner. Uh, so it's uh, up, up on his little altar. Um, one of the mysteries is how the, the wine disappears somewhere of the, over the course of the, the dinner. I think Barnabas likes to join in. But, uh, you know, one of, the, one of the early members was a... a uh, history professor at University of Chicago, and uh, in one of his archaeological uh, visit, visits to um, to the Middle East and Europe, um, he uh, I'm, I'm going to use a little air quotes myself and say he came across a uh, sporting page from the Cyprus Gazette from 6 AD or something like that, 
uh, talking about the uh, the golf score. There was a golf tournament, and Barnabas had uh, signed up for it. And he apparently signed in with a, a 100 handicap. And uh, on the first nine, he shot a uh, he shot a 90 on the first nine. And as he made the turn, he prayed. And uh, the back nine, he shot nine holes in one for a 99, and uh, and uh, you know net uh, negative one. And so he he won the low net of the tournament. And uh, the, the article goes on to, to say how that from then uh, from then on there would only be one miracle allowed per round, hence, hence Saint Barnabas. I love it. I love it. I, I mean, if you're gonna have a patron saint, nine hole in ones, that's a good way to start. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So he watches over us. So Lake Zurich is one of those clubs like no other, right? Um, yeah. In truth, in fact, it's you know there's it's it has a cemetery on its property. Um, but they also do a great job preserving their history and that of their membership. I was wondering if you could share with the listeners how history is preserved within the clubhouse. Um, boy, I mean, within the clubhouse, a lot, it, not much changes. It, it just changes very slowly. Um, you know, we have, uh, just a lot of artifacts going back to the founding. And, you know, I think, frankly, I think a lot of it came from, you know, members whose wives have said, get this out of the house. And so it ends up at Lake Zurich and just becomes part of the fabric of the club. And, uh, so it's, you know, it's just, it's a great old clubhouse, just full of, of fun stuff. Kids love it. You know, when, when, when members, children or grandchildren come to visit, you know, it's, it's this great treasure, you know, treasure box of all kinds of quirky, fun stuff, uh, to go discover. It really is. I, I think I was taken by a couple things, uh, specifically on the second floor. Uh, the clubhouse has 10 rooms upstairs, and at least one of them is is unchanged since one of the members passed. And it felt like, I don't know, just this amazing homage to that member right at the top that, of the stairs. That's correct. And, uh, well, and, uh, um, yeah, I, 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 don't know if it ever will change. Um, it is a, it's a little golf museum. It really in, is. In its own right. Yeah. And then, you know, the second part is, um, and I, I think this one was touching. I, I remember giving me goosebumps when we were there. Um, the closet on the second floor is full of red jackets. Yeah. Maybe you could talk about how, you know, a member truly never leaves their place at the club. Yeah, so we have this tradition of the the red coats, the the our red jackets um, that we wear for club events, and they're these red, kind of like the Augusta jackets, except uh, well, frankly, older, uh, and they're red with with green collars and green cuffs, and um, it, it it came from a tradition at St Andrews where they'd wear red jackets when they were playing golf, so that because it's a public links, it's public uh, public land, uh, it would warn people that golfers were coming through. That's right. Right. So, um, so when you become a member, you have a, you have a jacket made for you, but while the jacket's being made, there's a closet called the dead man's closet, uh, where you go up and, uh, and sift through and we have uh, maybe 20 or 30, eh, 20 jackets up there of varying sizes. But, uh, yeah, when members die, a lot of times they'll leave their, their jacket to the club and, uh, it goes into the closet. And if you need a jacket, well, you can go up there and, and uh, find one that sort of fits. That's amazing. I just, I don't know that part of the story. I just liked, right. That yeah. their jackets can stay. Yeah, exactly. It, it, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think you never really do leave Lake Zurich, which ties back to, I think if there, if there are ghosts, uh, I think they're happy ghosts. That's where you'd want to be. Right. Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you this, Ed, are there any other stories there? Or do you have any favorite stories you want to share? These are the ones we've talked about while we were playing golf, but anything that stands out? Oh boy. You know, I think what I love is just the family nature of it. Um, and the, the familiarity we have with, with each other. Um, you know, the, the, our, our red coat dinners and the singing the songs after dinner, uh, that's hard to beat. I mean, truly I mean Christmas at, at, uh, the Christmas party at the club, um, with the fires going in the fireplaces and everybody in their red and green jackets. And yeah, where does that happen uh, anymore? Right. Right. You know, it's, it's just, it's fantastic. And, and again, it, what I love about it is truly this feeling of, of just 
uh, serenity uh, when I'm when I'm there and when I'm you know when I leave I feel like so it's, it's weird I feel like I'm a better person as I'm whenever I'm leaving like it's it's made it's made me a better person so I go back out into the world you know in a better frame of mind which uh, you know again it's you just don't get that everywhere. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not a member, obviously, but I, I felt the same way when I, I mean, it was like one of those sad moments when I was leaving the property where I didn't want to leave. I mean, I, <laughs> most people don't know this. Ed had to call the police. To, <laughs> no, he didn't. <laughs> he had me removed. No, but I mean, it just I remember leaving the property and I don't know. It just kind of re-energized me a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. It, it, you just reminded me of something. Uh, you talk about the police. Uh, it reminded me. There, talk about serendipity, right? There was a, a squad car. I believe it was in the 1950s, uh, driving down the road, uh, fronting the club, and he saw a bolt of lightning hit the clubhouse and light it on fire. And called. He radioed the fire department within seconds, and like a minute later, or whatever, the fire department was there putting out the fire. Um, otherwise, the whole place would have burned down. Um, you know, you, you, there there's something special going on there that that keeps it that keeps it. You know, and I guess this ties in, but um, you know, the, before I guess we move on to your final questions, but um, there was another uh, famous detective that's associated with the club. Is that correct? <laughs> that is correct. Yeah, uh, Dick Tracy. Um, yeah, Chester Gould was uh, was a member, and uh, um, and for those at his, home, uh, Chester Gould is. Uh, the sorry, the uh, creator of Dick Tracy, and we still have uh, family connections. Um, his his uh, grandson and uh, granddaughter um, are have members memberships. Oh, I didn't at know the that. Club. That's nice. Yep, that's nice. Yeah. All right, I'm going to get in the final two questions for you. Uh, this one might be tough for you. Who was the last golfer to play gutta percha golf balls at Lake Zurich? Uh, probably me. <laughs> I would assume so too. <laughs> yeah, it was, I, I'm guessing it was me. I was thinking, I was trying to remember if you pulled out a gun. No, I did not. Uh, no, 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 I wasn't, that was not a trick question. I'm not beyond <laughs> that, Ed. I'm not beyond that. But And let me no. ask you this. I didn't get to do it, but how did the old game fare at Lake Zurich? Uh, what do you mean? Oh, like how did the course take – to you know, you were using pre nineteen hundred technology oh, on the golf course. How how did that change perhaps your perspective of the club? Because prior to you know me lending you those clubs, and I think you got some, and then getting gutter yep. purchases out there, you had not, and I believe didn't I give you a, a foulless club to play you did. Out there, right? You, yeah. You, yep. I had to give it back. You did. Yeah, <laughs> but... <laughs> it's in my closet now, Ed. Thank you for giving it back. <laughs> but I mean, how? I mean, you're probably the probably were the first person in almost a hundred years to do that. How, how did it play? I'm just curious. It, it was spectacular actually. And it brought a lot of the uh, hazards. Uh, it, it made a lot of sense to a lot of the hazards that are that on the course. That makes a lot of sense. Right. Yeah. Uh, suddenly things which are, you know, generally not an issue or otherwise just a mind game. Um, suddenly they are very much in play and you really have to start navigating your way around. Well, and then that putter of 10 degrees or 12 degrees loft makes a lot more sense when the the greens are a little bit longer, right? Gets the exactly. ball up and running. That's exactly right. And, uh, well, and you know, I still play the hickories there and it's, it's such a great place for that, that kind of golf. I mean, it's just, it's just a lot of fun to walk, uh, with hickory clubs and, you know, play older, older balls, um, it, the, the course is really built for it. it the course will take a modern you know, it'll take modern golf equipment, no problem. But uh, but playing with older equipment, it makes it's just a joy. It just feels like the right thing, right? Yeah, that's well, exactly right. You know, I started this podcast off by calling Lake Zurich the club that time forgot, a club that seems to be lost in the world where we value fast greens, green grass, and a game where three hundred yard drives is no longer the white elephant. I end this podcast leaving you with this thought. Maybe Lake Zurich isn't the one that lost its way. Maybe, just maybe, it's our way home. Thank you again for joining us on the 22nd episode of the Talking Golf History Podcast, Ed. I really appreciate your time. No, I appreciate uh, being on. It was a, a pleasure talking with you. 
And for folks at home, thank you again for taking time out of your busy day to listen to this podcast. It is and always will be for you.